my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody, and a Joyeux Noel, and a Bonne Natale, whatever it is, and... Uh, uh, but in any event, we have a great, great guest today. We're going to have Paul Craig Roberts on as a guest, and uh, we're going to have him really at the beginning of the, of the hour. Uh, we're going to do the show backwards, and uh, he's a wonderful guest, and we're going to talk about uh, what's going on in America today in regards to economics, and um, um, Paul Craig Roberts has is, is, is got a good handle on it as anybody. Well, Merry Christmas to you anyhow, Paul, and um, thank you so much for being our guest today, and uh, you're a special guest, and... Uh, uh, it's been a long time since we've talked, and uh, you know I'm big fans of yours, and uh, and also Gerald Salente, and uh, uh, in any event, um, uh, Paul, I have so many questions to ask you, but you just did a, a piece on Zero Hedge, which is a, a great website, and um, and uh, about um, uh, the state of affairs in America, and does Washington serve the American people anymore, Paul? Um. Give me that question again. Does 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 the government or does Washington um, serve the the American people anymore? Who who does who does Washington D.C. serve now, Paul? <laughs> okay, well, um, of course they serve Israel, um, but so do the state governments now, um, and they serve traditionally the powerful uh, organized private interest groups. Um, um, Wall Street, um, the military security complex, um, the fossil fuel industry, in fact, uh, all of the extractive industries, uh, including mining, timber, uh, agribusiness, pharmaceuticals. Uh, these are the groups that are served by, by Washington. Uh, the American people, um, they are... Ooh, they're not even chaff in the wind. Uh, they're a non-entity. Uh, they have no control uh, over uh, the government. Uh, they have no impact on policy. And this has long been my opinion, but we now have a number of um, studies from universities, uh, people who look for any indication that government is affected by uh, uh by democracy or the preferences of people or what the people want to happen as opposed to what really happens. And we now have um, a number of these uh, studies, supposedly carefully done, uh, that uh, conclude that uh, government is remote uh, from people and really has very little of any interest in the agenda that the citizens would like to see pursued. Yeah, it's. Um, I have. A, I think author Greg Pallast uh, said it, we have the the finest oligarchy money can buy. Or, uh, is something to that effect, Paul? 
Uh, yes, there's an oligarchy. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it's um, and some of it is sort of a, a quasi-public-private. The military security complex is both public and private. You know, it's uh, it's the Pentagon, the security agencies. You know, there are 16 or 17 U.S. security agencies. You know, it's not just the CIA and the uh, DIA and the NSA. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. And... Um, and of course, uh, the military security complex is also the military bases in so many of the states and the and the defense establishments that are just about everywhere. It's very difficult to find a state that doesn't have that isn't uh, a location for a military security complex. And the private firms that comprise the so-called private part of the military security complex, uh, they're essentially dependent on the government's budget. And so they're not really private. Uh, They're privately owned, but uh, their money is public money. It comes from the Pentagon budget or security agency budgets. So they're not private corporations in in the sense that, you know, uh, plants maker or a car maker or would be um now i have a question for you paul you 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 you've been a great insider i mean you were assistant secretary assistant uh, secretary of the treasury under uh, ronald reagan and you've really seen it from the inside uh, as, as much as anybody have, have we really drifted off course uh, since i mean since you were in the government and um what do you what is paul craig right uh, uh, yes um, the government today, including, I mean, the Treasury today, bears little resemblance to the Treasury I was in. Um, its uh, agenda, the offices, you know, we now have all of these uh, uh, money laundering uh, agencies in the Treasury, uh, uh, sanction enforcers, um uh, we have, of course, uh, what I regard as a very active plunge protection team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was in the Treasury, there was no such thing as the plunge protection team. Um, so we now see, uh, you know, routine uh, uh, interference uh, by the Treasury and the Fed in markets, not just the bond market, but all markets. And... Um, I'm of the opinion that uh, for the last decade, the plunge protection team has prevented any significant stock market correction because uh, it's scared to death of the consequences of uh, a big correction on values and, and all of the instruments that are out there. And so... Um, when the market looks like it's uh, getting out of control, I'm convinced uh, the plunge protection team buys S&P futures, which puts the market back up. Uh, I think I even published, uh, perhaps uh, together with colleagues like Dave Kranzler or Michael Hudson, uh, evidence yeah. that we uh, experience this type of intervention. 
Uh, we certainly experienced this type of intervention in the gold market. Uh, as you know, the price of gold is set in a paper market yep. where paper contracts are traded, contracts that do not have to be uh, covered, that is, shorts that do not have to be covered by uh, putting up uh, gold collateral. So that allows the paper supply of gold to be printed and increased, just like the supply of currency by the Fed. Yeah. So anytime the gold price starts uh, to go up, which uh, disadvantages the effort to maintain the uh, value of the dollar, uh, they step in, the bullion banks usually acting for the Fed step in, and dump massive amounts of futures contracts, which is equivalent to dumping a huge supply of gold on the market. It drives down the price. So we have all of these types of, of interventions. Uh, there may be many others I don't know about. The Fed's trading desk and the New York Fed now, they can, I think, intervene in any market, currencies, commodities. I think they have um, the whole thing there. And so we have a form of, uh, of regulation by market interference that never before existed. And the consequences of this so far has been that the Fed can create enormous sums of money and maintain stability. Um, but you see, uh, currently, there seems to be difficulty in the Fed backing away from this policy. You know, the, the new Fed regime, Powell, they were going to unload uh, some of the massive uh, balance sheet the Fed has accumulated over this past decade of bailing out the banks. And they're finding it's very difficult. And... Uh, it's not clear now whether the, this uh, rate increase regime is now already over. Um, if you uh, if you think about the massive debt, yeah, not not just the federal debt, but you think about pension debt, consumer debt, student debt, and corporate debt. You know, for ten years, these low interest rates. Uh, we had a regime in which uh, corporate executives uh, would use profits, and if they didn't have enough, would borrow, you know, at close to zero interest rates, and buy back the company's stock. Well, this, of course, uh, supported the price of the stock and, and made uh, millions of dollars in bonuses for each of the executives. And produced capital gains for the shareholders, but it's all a short-run thing because it builds up the debt of the companies. So you now have massive, I think uh, the corporate debt now is about twice what it was in 2007. Yeah. I, yeah so, so then how do you unwind this? Because there's so many companies now uh, much closer to to the possibility of being bankrupt because of the massive debt. And the Fed's excuse for uh, quantitative easing was that the oil, the low interest rates would cause the firms to invest in plant and equipment 
and the economy would expand and jobs would expand and um, prices would drop. But of course, uh, the corporations did not use the money for that purpose. Indeed, neither did the banks. The banks didn't use it for lending to companies. And the corporations simply went into debt for the purpose of buying back stock. So, you know, this is corrupt. This is corrupt. So the boards of directors and the executives and shareholders who tolerated it, they all benefited yep. in the short run, but the companies now are heavily, heavily leveraged. <laughs> so when you have all this leverage and uh, the Fed is going to sell off its balance sheet, that means interest rates are going up. So that means the cost of the leverage is going up. Uh, so you can see the kind of dilemma that the quantitative easing policy uh, has has put the economy in. And this, I think, is worldwide among the, the first world, you know, Europe, the U.K., uh, Japan, uh, the United States, Canada, Australia. They're all in this type of situation. So I think it has to be regarded as extremely dangerous. Uh, it's unprecedented. And uh, it's hard to know exactly uh, how you get out of this. Uh, you know, do central banks have th these tools? Uh, if everything goes south again, can they uh, produce trillions more money to glue it back together? Uh, these are the unanswered questions. I'm not sure what the Fed thinks it can do. I think it's beginning to realize that unwinding QE is not as simple as it thought. It, it kind of looks like Japan, Paul. And, uh, you know, we had uh, Bill Cohen on it. Uh, he writes for, for uh, Bloomberg, and he's written a bunch of books. He, he was actually a banker one time at Lazard, which I think, didn't you work for Lazard at one point, Paul? No, I, I've never worked for them. I was an outside consultant okay. to Lazard Press, yeah. to uh, their... Um, Asset Management uh, Division, uh, as I was to the J.P. Morgan Guaranteed Trust. Uh, it was during the period uh, when uh, all the market gurus were predicting completely incorrectly yeah. that the so-called Reagan deficits was going to cause a rising inflation and high interest rates. And uh, I uh, pointed out that the Reagan deficits were the direct result of the collapse of inflation. <laughs> and, and since the deficits resulted in the collapse of inflation, and therefore uh, less uh, nominal GDP, which of course was the basis of the tax basis, uh, there wasn't going to be an inflation problem and the interest rates were going to fall. Well, most of the money managers and Wall Street firms, they thought no, I was crazy <laughs> because they had heard all their life that deficits uh, produce inflation and high interest rates. And they couldn't understand uh, when I explained to them that the deficits uh, resulted from inflation's collapse and therefore would not be able to cause high interest rates. 
and the interest rates were going to go down, and it was time to clean up yep. bond futures. Well, Lazard and J.P. Morgan listened to me, and they made hundreds of millions of dollars. And I was simply working as an outside consultant to them. I would go up and meet with their people who made those kinds of decisions. And among the financial community, they're the ones, and there was another firm or two, it was uh, something called, uh, let's see, Ned Goodnow, and uh, Goodnow, somebody, I forget now, there, there was that firm, for a while there was a bank there, manu- uh, manufacturers, manufacturing Hanover yeah. Trust or Man- something, a bank that later merged, they, they also listened, so there was, um, you know, four or five among the Wall Street who didn't, who weren't captive of the gurus and listened to me, and they made huge sums of money. Well. <laughs> so that was uh, my experience. I was a consultant, not not an employee. Okay. But anyhow, but Bill, we would you kind of agree? It looks like, you know, last time, it always gets back to debt, Paul, and uh, last time was subprime debt, and the collateral uh, credit default swaps, which, you know, essentially insurance on debt. And this time it seems to be, I don't know, uh, the corporate debt, because if you look at the balance sheets, and Bloomberg published some great data on this, uh, companies like AT&T and Verizon and Dell and SoftBank, I mean, they're just a house of debt, Paul. I mean, I didn't even realize how indebted AT&T is, like $185 billion and Verizon's like $110 billion and you have Kraft Heinz, dumb, you know, the deal done with 3G Capital and Warren Buffett. There's just so much debt out there. It seems to be, I don't know, um, as a person, could this be the next trigger of uh, uh, an economic recession? or, And some people even say recession or even a depression. Well, th- this, is what, uh, this is what I've been talking about. The um, um, For 10 years, so look, when you have close to zero interest rates uh, uh, to carry debts inexpensive. Yeah. And so we've seen, I think, uh, uh, corporate debt now, I think, is uh, like, well, it's over $9 trillion. It's huge. And it was less than five yes. in 2007. So yes. almost doubled. Uh, and yet profits, <clears throat> profits haven't, and consumer... Um, real incomes haven't, and so there's really nothing in the real economy to produce the profits to service this debt if interest rates rise. So uh, the problem the Fed faces in uh, selling off its oversized balance sheet is that it's uh, probably not possible to do that without interest rates rising. So when the interest rates rise, uh, the ability of the corporations uh, to cover their outsized debt uh, becomes a serious problem. I mean, uh, where where do the profits come from to pay the interest on the debt, which they would have to refinance at higher interest? You see, when it comes to due, they can't pay it off. So they have to refinance it, but the interest rates are up. So yes, there is a serious uh, corporate debt 
problem. the corporations now are much more highly leveraged than they were uh, prior to the previous financial crisis that led to quantitative easing. And I think we have the situation, I believe that um, uh, Nomi Prince, I think, has yeah. pointed out that that the large uh, financial institutions uh, in New York uh, essentially don't want anybody to know what the nature of their positions are and what their money-making schemes are. They're keeping it dark. And um, I've I've heard uh, that the regulators are actually, uh, you know, heavily uh, criticized and pressed uh, to back off by the large uh, financial or the big Wall Street bankers, because they don't want it known uh, the nature of their positions. Now, is this because they're uh, vulnerable or illegal or, or what? But it, it shows uh, instability that they are resisting the regulations. And so you can add that in. I mean, we don't know what the situation is with the banks. So you've got all of that uncertainty. We don't know what the nature of the swaps are. What are they doing? Are the the derivatives? Any of that. So you have that. Now you've got a far worse corporate debt situation. And, And I'm not sure about the consumer debt, but I suspect it's worse because when you don't have growth in your real income, but prices rise, and and they've been rising much more than the uh, official rate of inflation indicates, you're forced into credit card debt. And so you have a situation uh, where many people, and this is according to the Federal Reserve's own reports, and they're several years old now, that something like half the population or close to half the population cannot raise $400 cash without selling personal assets. So these are, how are these people surviving? They are using their credit card and they're paying the minimum payment. So the balance rises every month. So the indebtedness of the consumer has got to be horrific. And then we know that uh, student loans are tremendously uh, high, and we know that the kids that come out don't get jobs that can pay off these loans. They can't even get jobs that support an independent existence, which is why such a high percentage of young people are still living at home with the parents. They can't get employment that, lets them live independently. So how do they pay off these loans? So the debt is all over. And it could well be that it'll be the corporate debt that causes a problem. But you may see the Fed forced off of unwinding, and they will be back to supporting the current level of debt. And the current 
uh, and and back to the low, close to zero interest rates. Well, given the indebtedness of the federal government that and the size of its deficits, then there's going to be more money printed. Now, for the last decade, as far as we can tell, most of this money went into financial asset prices, yep. not into consumer good prices. Yep. Just imagine if this good go, this money goes into consumer goods prices, the so people's incomes are not going to be able to provide for them. So there's a whole range here of possible catastrophes and disasters. Um, perhaps none of them will happen, but the, there are all possibilities there. They're all waiting, and what can the Fed do? So are we in a situation where the Fed forever has to create money? And will this situation forever um, simply drive up financial asset prices and not consumer prices? And if so, it means the distribution of income is going to become worse and worse and worse. Because the only people who prosper from rise in asset and stock and bond prices are people who have money, which is a tiny percent of the population. So wherever you look, it's very hard to see how anything good can come out of this. You know, where where is the good decision to make? Now, Michael Hudson says the only possible decision is simply... To write off the debt. Yeah, jubilee. Debt jubilees. That's he says, historically, going back into millennium, way back into ancient times, pre-Roman times, pre-Grecian times, that was the solution. That, uh, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, that periodically the debt was written off, forgiven, and they would start over. So... That's what, uh, in fact, he's just had uh, another book published uh, in conjunction with Peabody Museum at Harvard, uh, which acknowledges him as the foremost uh, expert in ancient economics. And so maybe that's the only solution. Maybe Michael Hudson's right that this requires debt forgiveness. Um, in my opinion, that was certainly the case uh, with Greece. That's what should have been done. The, the Greek debt should have been written off to an amount that the country could service. Instead, it was used to impoverish the countries. They were forced to sell off state assets, municipal water companies, ports, protected islands. Uh, they were forced to social services so they could pay interest to the German and Belgian banks. And in and consequently, young people left the country, and the, the country now is essentially a third world ruin. Um, I, at the time, said this was a fantastic error, a stupid mistake, and that the debt should be written down to a level the company the country could service. So this may be the only solution, that debts will have to be written down. But um, let me ask you another question, Paul. Um, so I, I kind of believe, I tell people that the debt's the new slavery. It's the new, we don't put people in chains anymore in this country. Hopefully uh, we don't. Uh, but we do enslave them with debt. But isn't this kind of the, you know, I don't know if you've been watching the uh, what's been going on in France with the Yellow Jackets, uh, Gillette Jeunes, I guess like Jeunes, they call them. Um, uh, it's, it's really not, it's, it's, it's really about 
inflation and debt, and which is a form of or, or taxation. What do you th- what do you say about you know, what's going on in France, Paul? And could we could that happen here? Well, I don't think it will happen here. The French uh, <laughs> are really the only people who take to those kinds of protests. Uh, it's their tradition, <laughs> and uh, they do it often. Um, what caused this was this large rise in gasoline prices. It was just too much. The budgets can't absorb it. And and uh, and most of the people think that the reason the government wants the more revenues is to give more welfare to the massive immigrants that are overrunning the country. And so they're saying, here go, here we are, being squeezed to death. So the idiot president of France can look like a great humanitarian by accepting millions of Africans and Asians and Middle Easterners. And it's all coming out of our hide. So that's what's going on there. I don't I don't know, you know, generally what happens because the government just waits them out because eventually they run out of steam and get tired and have to earn some money and so, who knows? Uh, there's no revolutionary figure. Uh, there's no one to lead them. Uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, uh, perhaps, but they're threatening her with prosecution and jail terms. So, it's hard to see what what comes out of that. Um, if it's spread, and um, saw it elsewhere. But what we see instead is everyone's out. You know, uh, uh, Prime Minister May sold out the British people on Brexit, came up with a fake Brexit that basically England, or the British pay the EU uh, huge sums of money and nothing else changes. They're still subject to European law, over their law. They're still subject to um, mass migration. Uh, there's, no, there's no exit at all. But here she is, <laughs> claiming it's just, it's fake. Uh, I mean, you, wherever you look, you look uh, at Germany, overrun with crime now, massive uh, illegal immigrants that, that that stupid woman, the Chancellor uh, <laughs> Merkel, uh, imposed on the country. Uh, clearly, these are all indications that the governments do not in any way represent the citizens. Yeah. I mean, who's Merkel represent? I mean, George Soros. <laughs> you know, it's not. It, it, no German is represented by her. No Frenchman is represented by, by Macron. Yeah. And that, and now the EU is trying to do to Italy what they did to Greece. And we have a curious situation in Italy where you have a coalition government between the right-wing party, the new right-wing party, and the new left-wing party. And the right and the left-wing see they have more in common against the establishment (laughs) than they have differences between themselves. So this government is trying to do what the Greek government failed to do, and that is to stand up in the EU, not to accept the austerity that will destroy what remains of Italian living standards and not deliver up uh, what remains of Italian assets uh, to the banking industry and the real estate developers. 
So we'll see if they're able to stand or not. Uh, yeah. I think, on the whole, that the EU has destroyed the sovereignty of the European countries. I, I, I would agree with you. Even as I said, in the uh, Prime Minister May's Brexit exit, it leaves Britain under the legal authority of the EU. So, in effect, it's an exit in which you do not regain your sovereignty. Now, of course, the British have some sovereignty that <clears throat> most of the rest of the EU don't have, and that is they kept their own currency. They at least had enough yeah. sense not yeah. to join the euro so they can finance their own debt. They can print money to pay off British bonds. Uh, Italy can't, Greece can't, Germany can't, France can't. It, so in that sense the British will always have more sovereignty than any other member of the EU because, in fact, I think uh, maybe two other small countries kept their currencies. I don't remember what they were. Denmark, maybe. Or Switzerland has it. You know, Switzerland has their own, right? Switzerland is not a member of the EU. They're not a member of the EU. But one of the questions that I want to leave with you, and I really want to get your take on this, because you know, you've worked as an editor and a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. You've written for Business Week. Uh, you taught uh, economics at George Mason and at Georgetown, and um, you really uh, one one of the th the questions I want to ask you is about the state of the press, and you know I think you call them prostitutes, or, or, or something like that, and, and um, you know I I just I'm just amazed that you know even on a, on a, a show a station like Bloomberg, who I thought does a lot of great uh, news, they have guys like. David Rubenstein with his own show, show and if people really knew um, any event, I just thought it was, incre it was incredible corporate capture in the media. What, what did Paul Craig Roberts say about that? Well, we, we no longer have uh, an independent print or TV media. Uh, that ended um, in the last year or two of the Clinton regime when uh, the government permitted uh, illegally uh, concentration of the media in violation of the antitrust laws. 90% of the U.S. media today is owned by five or six mega corporations. Uh, they have no independence whatsoever. And overlaid on that, we now have um, all of the controls over explanations that have been built up since 9-11. Yeah. Where just about anything that is challenging to the official war terror position simply cannot be expressed. So the explanations in the print TV media are tightly controlled. And any journalist or editor that goes against them uh, is fired. They're simply removed. It happens constantly. And and even now we have a situation where journalists, legitimate journalists, such as Julian Assange, WikiLeaks, now faces some sort of charges, still secret, most likely espionage, for publishing documents.
documents leaked to WikiLeaks. So for doing nothing other than what the New York Times did when it published the Pentagon Papers Papers, to the Times by Ellsberg, this is now being criminalized. And somehow it's being criminalized with a foreign national. In other words, how can Assange be a, a spy, an American spy, when he's a citizen of Australia and Ecuador? So a precedent here is being established that anybody anywhere can be arrested by the United States as a spy. Who, in fact, on any char, on, on any basis, because uh, journalism has always been protected. Uh, they are now trying to claim that if you are a journalist and you get a leaked document and you don't call up the government and report who leaked it to you, you're a criminal. If you publish it, you are a double criminal. So the whole notion of ever knowing what the government is really doing is being taken off the table. You're not going to be able to find out. Uh, A large number of whistleblowers who are protected by federal law have nevertheless been imprisoned for being whistleblowers. They're simply telling their superiors what's going on. So I think uh, we're entering a world that in which uh, explanations are far more tightly controlled than they are even in George Orwell's novel, yeah. Dystopia, 1984. Um, and on top of this, Barry, we now have all the controls put on by those people who claim they are offended. Anybody who can claim to be a victim or a victim group. And, of course, in identity politics, which is the ruling ideology today of the liberal progressive left, of the universities, and of the Democratic Party, in identity politics, everyone is a victim except the white heterosexual male. (laughs) So everyone can claim to be offended by anything that you say. We now, we have seen at Google, for example, senior engineers fired for simply writing an email that there are genetic differences between men and women. (laughs) Every scientist knows that. (laughs) So you can't even state truths anymore. And we have a situation in the universities where People who study the genetic basis of race, the genetic basis of intelligence, they're being shut down. They simply cannot do it. Or if they do it, they have to do it in the privacy of their own study. So when you look at all of these factors that are coming in, shutting down the ability to speak about anything... We have a totally controlled existence. All explanations are controlled. 
know what the news is. It doesn't matter whether you turn on the BBC or CNN or Fox News or MSBC, MSNBC or you read the um, New York Times or the Post or the Financial Times or the London Telegraph. You all get exactly the same story. It's exactly the same. It's a line. There's but, no, in fact, you only need one news source because they all have the same message. You can't step outside that. And this even happens to Internet sites. If they are dependent on something, then they're closed down. It's only sites that have no advertising, that don't want a Facebook or a Twitter presence that can continue, a site like mine, that can continue to speak truthfully about what's really going on. Well, 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 sooner or later, Google will relegate us to non-search. <laughs> yes. Um, but, Paul, um, look, at we, uh, we, we, we want to keep our commitment, but thank you, Paul. There's guys like you who speak up all the time, and uh, you're a great American, and God bless you, and guys like Michael Hudson and Chris Hedges, and, um, you know, I just love people that tell the truth. Gerald Salente says so a lot of good people, um, and I guess we still have a lot to be grateful. As, as crazy as things are, I still would rather live here in the U.S., you know, rather than the Sudan right now, but um, uh, we want to just thank you so much, and God bless you, and keep fighting the good fight, uh, Paul, and pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, and you're doing a great job, my man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Merry and Christmas. Merry Christmas, Paul, and uh, thank you so much. And that's been Paul Craig Roberts. And if you want to find more about Paul Craig Roberts, go to paulcraigroberts.org. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the wolves?